This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland. The following presentation of the Midland City Council will begin in a moment. The Midland City Council is the City's legislative body that sets policies, approves budgets, determines tax rates, and adopts ordinances and resolutions to govern the city. It is made up of five elected officials that represent the wards in which they reside, and councilmen are elected to two-year terms. The mayor is elected from among the council members by vote of the city council. City council meetings are held at 7 p.m., two Mondays per month, in council chambers at City Hall. This presentation is provided by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland. Replays of this meeting can be found on MGTV Channel 188 on Charter Spectrum, through Channel 99 on AT&T UVerse, or on demand at www.cityofmidlandmi.gov. Select meetings are available on MCTV Network's Government Affairs Podcast Channel. Good evening and welcome to the August 26, 2019 meeting of City Council. Please stand and join us for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, Erica, will you please call roll? Honorable Mayor Donker? Here. Councilman Arnoski? Here. Councilman Wazbinski? Here. Councilman Hall? Here. Councilman Brown Wilhelm? Here. Thank you. Um, before we go into our regular agenda, this evening we have a presentation. Um, our students are here who visited our sister city earlier this year, and I'm going to turn it over to Katie Geyer to do the introductions and tell us what we're going to be hearing tonight. Sure, so good evening. As you know, the city has enjoyed a sister city relationship with Honda Japan since 1981. And over the course of that relationship, we've now sent over 100 students between Japan and Midland every summer to experience one another's culture. So we have three students from Midland that just came back this year. And they are going to give you um, a little breakdown of their experience while they were there. And first, I have Sister City Committee Chair John Metcalf here to tell you a little bit about the program. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. We're back again. Oh, it's there. Okay. <laughs> so, as, uh, as Katie said, we've been doing this for 38 years, um, over 100 students back and forth. Those of you who are familiar with the program, you know that we send three students to Honda on odd years, and then on even years, we actually host then three students from, that come from Honda uh, and stay with families in the community. So um, this year, we had the, uh, the pleasure of sending three students. Um, the committee is made up of a group of volunteers who all have either personal interest in Japan or experience in Japan. And um, our liaison in Honda is uh, Adachi Takehito. And he's been our liaison for many years. And he's great to work with. He basically is um, 
the equivalent of me on their side. <laughs> well, we've got uh, a couple of uh, new members to our committee this, this last few years. You might recognize the third name, uh, Tom Adams. Uh, Tom, uh, who was a member of the council and went to Japan, I'm thinking maybe six years ago, um, we pulled him in. We said, hey, Tom's going to be a good asset for us. Matthew Bone is one of the first, as far as I know, the first committee member who was a former student who went to Japan. So Matthew's joined us and he's brought a lot of uh, dynamic uh, youth and, and energy into the, into the committee, which is a good thing. So why do we do this? Um, the Sister City program has been going on for many years. Uh, it's uh, obviously to create friendships and, uh, and connections with Japan. For the students, it's just a fantastic opportunity to see a different part of the world and experience a different culture. Make personal connections. We have people who um, are still communicating with their host families and, and their um, and their students who stayed with them from you know ten even twenty years ago. So it's a it's a great bonding opportunity for us in Honda. So when the students are there, they have a chance to see some of the incredible sights. This is in Kyoto, which is the old capital of Japan, many 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 years ago before Tokyo became the capital. Beautiful scenery and sights. This is some of the committee members from, from Honda. Uh, Adachi Takito is the, uh, the fourth one in, the, the, the middle guy with the white shirt. So he's our liaison. There's Deborah, who we'll hear from in a minute. They do things like tea ceremonies, and they speak to the Rotary Club. Also, when we host, um, we try to you know, introduce the students from Honda to life in Midland, in mid-Michigan. So some of the students from previous years uh, enjoyed things such as boating on Sanford Lake. Uh, and of course, they bring some of their culture here as well to share with their host families. Do fun things like go down and see the Detroit Tigers and learn calligraphy. And the loons uh, have been a wonderful uh, partner with us. They, every time that we have the three students here, the students get to go, they get to throw out the first pitch, uh, their names go up on the scoreboard, things like that. So um, our partnership with the city, with our, our supporters, both financial and in-kind supporters within the city, are extremely important. The community members are extremely important so that when the students come here from Honda and interact with the community, the warmth and the welcome that they feel is extremely, extremely important and we appreciate that and that's, you know, we hope that that will continue over the years to come. So last year we had our, our students from, from Japan, and it was Yuka Goto, uh, Risa Takuchi, and Yuki Shirakawa. And what was really wonderful is that two of those students um, who got to know some of our students, or some of the, the students from this year, when they were in, in Midland, actually did some hosting of our students when they went over there. So wonderful opportunity to, to make that, that reconnection and, and keep that exchange going. I will introduce you here to Abigail, uh, Luca, and Deborah, who were our three students this year. Um, not very often do we send three young ladies. Sometimes we try, always try to mix it up, but this year these three young ladies were just so incredible. They blew us away during their, their interviews and with their incredible, uh, incredible knowledge and, and uh, enthusiasm. So we said, hey, we got to go with the best, and, and we did. So uh, actually, I'm go ahead and introduce, uh, and let's start with Abigail. Uh, my name is Abigail Nista. 
When I first heard that I was going on this trip, all I could focus on was how much culture I would learn, and I was so excited to visit shrines, and um, I'm really interested in art, so I was excited for that. But when I look back at the whole trip, I realize that the relationships are much more important to me than any of that that I saw. Um, I thought it would be very odd just going into their homes, um, each of my three host families, and just kind of taking up space there. But everyone was so kind and polite, and I eventually got to know everyone. Um, my first host family had four younger boys, and I have two younger sisters, so that was a new experience for me. Um, but I really felt that I got to know their personalities and I got to connect with them, even though they barely knew English. And um, <laughs> one of my best memories is riding in the car with them and we had a game where we'd try and poke each other. So to me, that shows like you, you don't need your phone to translate all the time. You can just have fun just t poking each other. <laughs> um, I had a lot of good talks with my host mothers and um, we were all so grateful for this opportunity and um, my third host family actually had hosted, uh, I was her, the 10th person she had in her house, but she had never gotten someone from this program, so I was the youngest and additionally, um, she, all the people she had before only stayed for two days, so we really got to have a bond, we got to have a connection um, that she never had with the other people who came to her house. So that was really sp special to me. And uh, it's just, it's still kind of hard to think about them because I'm really sad that we had to leave. Um, but uh, I continue to text them. And uh, when everyone was in the airport, we just kept saying, please come to America, please come to America, and come back, see you again. And um, it was, I don't know, it's just so emotional to think about. And it's really hard to explain that to people that even though we can't communicate perfectly, I still felt that and I still felt their kindness and they really, I got to know them and I'm really happy that I got that chance. <laughs> Thank you. Next we'll introduce Luca Jolly. Hello, my name is Luca Jolly. I would first like to thank the City of Midland and the Selection Committee for providing me with a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and for all their support. My time in Japan was transformative and really a life-changing experience. I've always wanted to visit Japan and I'm so happy that I was able to experience it. I found that I was really able to make the trip my own by exploring aspects of my own interests while I was there. I've been taking dance since I was three years old and was able to take a jazz dance class at a local studio. I was also able to tap at the welcome party and farewell party with some of my host siblings who were also trained in tap dancing. I found that my passion for dance was shared among many people I met in Japan and represented a universal language. I was able to bond with my host siblings through dancing in the living room and watching videos of their dance recitals. Along with this, I was also able to use my interest in medicine and becoming a doctor to explore the healthcare system in Japan. My second host mom worked at a local hospital and I was able to arrange a hospital tour and job shadowing. I spent an entire morning learning about the hospital and the healthcare system along with watching my host mom work. This was a big highlight of my trip as I was able to see different healthcare systems and how they operated. My time in Japan was absolutely amazing and I met incredible people who I still keep up with today. I'm very grateful for this experience and plan on visiting Japan again in the future. 
I thank you guys so much for this incredible opportunity as I've created memories and relationships that will last a lifetime. And finally, Deborah Lehman. Hello, my name is Deborah Lehman. Uh, when I told my parents last summer that I would do anything to get accepted into this program, they were of course proud of me for, for wanting that, but a little skeptical because I'm a homeschooler. And although there is a very large homeschooling community, especially in the Tri-Cities, but also Midland, uh, over 200 families, um, they weren't sure if I would be able to be accepted for this program because of that. However, uh, obviously I was, and um, it made me proud to be able to represent not only Midland as a whole, but also the homeschooling community, which is a large part of Midland, but almost unheard of in Japan. So it was fascinating to me to bring this part of American culture and Midland culture to Honda Japan. So the, the three weeks that I spent there were easily the shortest and longest three weeks of my life simultaneously, but undoubtedly also the best. Uh, one thing that kept on surprising me was that I didn't feel like a tourist the entire time I was there. I thought I would being a complete foreigner, being an American high schooler in Japan of all places. However, the extreme hospitality and kindness and generosity that the Japanese people treated me with uh, blew me away. Even though it was difficult to, me to communicate probably most of the time, uh, they treated me like I was one of their own. I ate what the host families ate, I went where they went, even as mundane things as dropping off and picking up children from preschool. And really that truly cemented a feeling in me that every time I would drive back to a host family's house, it felt like coming home to me. And that was a feeling I never thought I'd experience 6,400 some miles away from my home in Midland. And that leads me to another thing that astonished me. Uh, in just three weeks, I formed bonds stronger than I thought possible could be formed in three weeks. Uh, despite the short time I was there, despite the 6,400 miles, despite the continent and ocean between us, I formed a bond with each of my host families and with the members of the Honda committee uh, so deep um, that it blows me away. And those sorts of bonds take a lot of work and a lot of effort. And I think those sort of bonds take not only a willingness, but an eagerness to learn and to love. Uh, because I don't think that everyone can be a host family or a host student. I think you have to want to learn about another person and about another culture. And that is something I hope I will take with me uh, when I go to college, when I meet new people, when I start my career. And it's one of the most important things I learned from this program. And so finally, I'd like to thank every volunteer on the committee, every company that's helped uh, partner over the years with this program, and the city of Midland, of course. Uh, thank you for the support and for providing us with a wonderful time, and a wonderful time that has made a grim great impact on all of our lives. And so finally, I'd like to present uh, Mayor Donker with a letter from Mayor Sakakibara. Thank you very much. Now, did you um, sing karaoke with him? No, not the uh, He's got quite an incredible voice, let me tell you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you can see why we chose them. Um, amazing students. Can we give them a round of applause? Yeah.
I think they did Midland proud and everything that we've heard back from, from their hosts in Japan and, and uh, Mr. Dachi is that they just did a wonderful job and there were lots and lots of tears at the airport. So um, obviously they made an impact. As we move forward, um, next year uh, we are hosting. So I got to do a plug. Uh, if you know of people who would like to host a, a student from Honda, if you yourselves would like to host a student from Honda, um, the requirements are not great. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have high school students in the house, although it's nice to have that because there's a way to you know, make a connection there. Um, but yeah, we will uh, be looking to start uh, talking to hosts next, uh, what is it, February that we usually put out that notice. Um, so watch the, uh, Watch the website and uh, that information will come up uh, in the middle of the winter and we appreciate anybody who would like to who would like to host. One final plug I have to do is um, the folks at the library, uh, Miriam Andres and um, her staff have put up a wonderful display of objects that we have received from Honda up on the mezzanine. So if you get a chance to go over there and see some of the wonderful presents that they've given us over the years, you know, they obviously they go back a long, long time. Uh, in two years we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary and we're hoping to do a little bit something special. Um, we will be sending students that year, so if you have uh, high school or students who are currently in eighth or ninth grade, um, let them know that in two years they might have a chance to go to Japan. So, all right, um, I think that's it. Thank all you very right. much again. I well, appreciate your, your support. Well, John, um, on behalf of all of us on council, thank you for the work that you and the volunteers on the committee, You know the time you put in, because you do put a lot of time in um, to making this happen, to finding the host families, to making, you know, to finding the great students that represent us. So thank you for all of that work. And of course, to the business sponsors who really, you know, support this to make it happen. What a, you know, a blessing that is. And to Katie, who does a lot of coordination around this also. You know, we thank you for all of your effort. And, you know, thank you, ladies, for um, going there and representing us and, you know, showing that welcoming spirit. I think that is, um, such an important thing that you know you, that you do that you obviously felt welcomed and I th think you all said how welcomed you felt and so when they come here next year well, hopefully they will feel um, welcomed here and it's a wonderful relationship that we have with them and we hope that we have another you know 38 or 31 more years with them doing this so thanks John Thank you. so you're free to go I know that <laughs> It's your last free night. School starts soon. <laughs> All right. Um, does anyone have a conflict of interest with anything on tonight's agenda? No man here. Okay, then seeing none, we'll move on to the consent agenda. Um, all resolutions that have an asterisk next to them are considered to be routine and will be enacted by one motion. There will be no separate consideration of these items unless a council member or citizen requests during the discussion stage of the motion to adopt the consent agenda as indicated. If there's even a single request, an item will be removed from the consent agenda and considered in its, list, um, regular sequence and, um, in its listed sequence in regular fashion. So we, can we have a motion to accept the consent agenda? So move. Second. second. Okay, we have a person second. Is there anyone from council who would like an item removed from the consent agenda? We see none. Any from the public like an item removed from the consent agenda? Okay, then seeing none, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes. 5-0. All right, this evening we have um, two public hearings. 
And this first one has to do with the Main Street um, Plaza project. And this, we will have one public hearing, but we have two resolutions that go along. So we'll have one presentation, one public hearing, and then we'll have two um, votes on the two items. So Josh Fredrickson is here to tell us about it, and I'll turn it over to him. Thank you. <clears throat> Good evening. So as was stated, um, here to talk about the amendment to the 2019-2020 Major Street Fund uh, to include the Main Street Plaza, and this is the public hearing. As you'll remember, we discussed this uh, at our previous City Council meeting um, in August about the project. So we'll go through this. Um, let's see here. There we go. So stepping back a little bit, <clears throat> um, many of us may remember these uh, wonderful traffic signals that were there. So in 2016, uh, the Downtown Development Authority began to pursue a uh, plan to redevelop um, the downtown Midland streetscape. So this is, a, this is what we had before. And uh, through that development process, um, a design was developed by the by Smith Group of Ann Arbor, um, and that construction was then awarded to Fisher Contracting here at Midland. Uh, the funding for the construction project for the streetscape project was uh, through generous uh, donations and grants uh, by three uh, foundations here in the city, uh, the Herbert H. and Grace A. Dow Foundation, the Roland M. Gerstacker Foundation, and the Charles J. Strosacker Foundation. So with that, we were able to uh, move forward with the construction of the Main Street Streetscape project. Uh, and that project in itself included um, new pavement and new curbs. It also included uh, standard amenities such as uh, new uh, public benches, um, sidewalks, and walking pedestrian space. And that uh, was finished to three different uh, finishes and new lighting uh, along Main Street. And that's just a view of the uh, completed construction uh, for the phases that were done. Phases one and two from Jerome Street down to um, Cronkrite were completed. So where that is, is Jerome is right up here. And we completed that section from there down to Cronkrite. And we had the final phase from Cronkrite down to the southerly end of the project that, um, that was outstanding still to, to complete. So this final phase of the um, streetscape project uh, was under the Poseyville Bridge, uh, and that was identified as an underutilized space uh, that could be enhanced by creating a gathering area. Uh, the Michigan Baseball Foundation worked with Smith Group, the same designers that did the streetscape design, um, to develop a plan for the Main Street Plaza to better utilize this space um, and to connect the East End area to the downtown core district. Um, plans have been developed with the input of city staff and review of city staff. Um, and this area was included in the original, original streetscape, although the scope has changed, and that's, where, uh, that's why we're here today is for that change of scope. Originally, it was uh, replacing curb, replacing sidewalks, some new asphalt, uh, but not really the gathering space that's being proposed. So draft design concepts of the expanding uh, the scope of the Main Street Streetscape project to include this plaza area were presented at the DDA board at their February 26th meeting. And at that uh, meeting, the board voted to support the construction of this plaza area. So um, if you remember, this was uh, presented back at our previous city council meeting um, by the, Midland, uh, or the Michigan Baseball Foundation. And there are representatives of the Michigan Baseball Foundation here today. If you have specific questions about this space, but um, here's one of the renderings or concepts of what that space would look like 
As you can see, it's, uh, it's providing wider space for public gathering. Um, there's additional landscaping that's included, uh, new lighting. Uh, the bollards that are shown there are, were just uh, a depiction and those are not included as part of this, uh, as part of this project. Uh, but it really develops that space as an event and, and space for gathering uh, in that area. Here's a couple more uh, renderings, uh, perspectives. As you can see, it's being built out away from the road where it slopes down today. Um, the rail trail is just off to the, the bottom of the pictures of each one of those pictures. Uh, so it really creates that space uh, there. So funding to expand the Main Street streetscape um, project to include this plaza area is made possible by donations uh, given to the Michigan Baseball Foundation specifically for this project. Uh, and in addition, since the city was going to have, we included work in this area, uh, that previous funding was, would also be allocated to this project, to completion of this project. Uh, the donations total 1.1 million for this. Uh, some of that is given in, as an in-kind donation for the design, and the remaining is for the construction and inspection, which is uh, what the budget minimum is for this evening. So at our previous meeting, uh, when we discussed this, there was questions about the landscape, um, in particular about the trees in the area. And so uh, myself and the city's horticulturist, the park supervisor, and the director of public services met um, here to look at, uh, look at the trees, review the trees, um, and they were identified um, as being stressed. And this is evidenced by the yellowing of the leaves, the early leaf drop, um, and the thinning canopies. Uh, around the city, there's other crab apple. This is these are crab apple trees, and there have been other crab apple trees in a si similar situation or condition that have have been removed over over time, um, and so these weren't. Uh, they, it was deemed to be acceptable to remove these trees. In addition, the design for the streetscape uh, in, includes new ramps um, here at the corner and pedestrian walkways that would basically that would be on top of the roots and damage the trees in, in such a manner that they probably wouldn't survive if um, doing the construction. And that was the case for either uh, this, the original scope of the streetscape or the, uh, this enhanced scope of the streetscape. Those trees would have been uh, removed in either, in either situation. Uh, new crab apple trees will be planted in this area. Um, the curb line actually there, um, right, right down here, is actually moving out into the road a little bit. And so these planters move out. And so the new trees, uh, two new trees are included in the plan, but they're, they're closer to where the, the road, edge, road edge is today. Uh, the new trees that'll be planted there are a higher disease resistant variety. Um, and they have a, a more, uh, it's called columnar. Um, it's more vertical shape. So it's, uh, it's a little bit less maintenance. And so a little less time having to spend down there to, to maintain and take care of the trees. In addition to these trees, uh, on the other side of the bridge, or downstream side of, of, um, of the bridge, there's a large cottonwood tree um, right there that's shown in this image here. That tree is also uh, needing to be removed um, because it's going to have hardscape or sidewalk and, and part of that, um, that gathering space that was shown in one of the, the renderings. Um, and in its place, not in exact location because it'll be hardscape, but uh, in that general vicinity will be planted another tree. Um, so in total, um, three trees are getting removed um, and 10 trees are going to be planted uh, as part of this uh, phase of the project. Uh, 10 uh, decorative uh, trees that, that will really enhance this area. 
Um, in addition to the trees being removed and the, and the new landscaping and irrigation that's going to be going on in, down here, um, invasive species along the riverbank will be removed. Um, that's part of an ongoing process uh, that the city has been doing, um, continuing efforts made by the city to improve the riverbank. Um, so those invasives along that riverbank in that area would be would be removed, which is a it's a great thing to really restore the habitat and the and the environment down there by the riverbank. So, uh, what is tonight? Uh, it's a um, so there's two resolutions as was stated earlier. One resolution, the first one, uh, is to accept the funding and design for the Main Street Plaza project. This uh, enhanced scope to the to the original uh, streetscape. Um, the second resolution would be to amend the major street fund to increase revenue and expenditure by $1,017,850 to recognize the additional grant funding uh, being provided. Um, this also authorizes a change order to Fisher Contracting, the original construction contractor for the streetscape project to continue the project and finish out the, the, the project limits. And then OHM advisors for construction um, and project management. Uh, which they performed on the original streetscape and so it really just continues their contract for the work that we'd already agreed uh, but with the additional scope and the um, additional work that's associated with that so with that um, if you have any questions for me absolutely okay. so before any questions mm -hmm. let me just m make a comment about the public hearing and how exactly this works so after the presentation by staff then it's an opportunity for council to ask staff any questions that they may have once that is done, then we will open the public hearing and you can come up and speak either for or against the petition. And if the petitioner is here at the end, they have an opportunity to make, um, to make final comments before we close the public hearing. So with that, is there any um, questions for Josh, Josh by council? Right. What would be the timing for development? So the intent of this would be to complete it um, my favorite day is November 15th, so uh, we'll go with, um, so the, um, in reality, we've been talking with the contractor, Fisher Construction, or contracting. Um, they would be out there shortly after uh, the approvals and everything's in place uh, and, and start on that right away uh, with the, the intent of the construction being done by mid-November. Um, I believe at the uh, previous presentation there was some work um, because it's getting cold and things like that to enhance them or to refresh the mural that would uh, continue on to the next spring when it's a little bit warmer. But uh, construction on like concrete and asphalt and trees planted, that would all occur still this fall. Any other questions for Josh? Yeah, Josh, I, I think mm -hmm. you pointed out about the change to the, lands the existing landscaping. And, um, you know, I, I hope that our horticulturist would actually come to speak and make sure that, because uh, I know she's got quite a bit of respect in terms of the work she's done uh, down the you know, Main Street. But one of the things that's obviously the most, you know, is most noticeable on, on the rest of Main Street is kind of the lack of mature trees. And obviously we've got some mature trees here that potentially we could save if, um, and so I wanted to make sure that that basically she was on board, uh, given the great deal of respect I think she's, she's earned since being with the city, uh, that we, <coughs> we do need to lose those, those rather large, large trees. Um, so if you could confirm that, I'd appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, so I can speak to that. And also um, um, our Director of Public Services is here um, if you want to hear from her as well. Um, but uh, we, we met with uh, our city horticulturist uh, throughout this whole process of design and review. Uh, we've been uh, receiving the feedback and input on the types of species 
and where those trees are going and do you want to sure um, just to reiterate reiterate um, Stephanie is out of town this week so she wasn't able to join us but um, she did a review when when this plant first came um, before um, the DDA board she did a review of all the plant species they were recommending and at that time she said no this one's not really great for for our um, climate and this one would be better and so she made a bunch of recommendations on the types of species right up front and then she also went down we've been on site three times to review the trees um, the the crab apple trees in particular the two we've got a lot of input from uh, the residents at Riverside because they love those beautiful flowering trees um, she looked at those trees and she also invited um, our park supervisor Bart Heil who has a background in forestry and they both agreed that those trees are on the downward um, side of their life cycle um, and they do have yellowing leaves on them there's a lot of leaf litter on the ground right now from those trees which means they're stressed out just from the type of uh, year we've had so they both agreed that if we tried to save those trees within two or three years we'd be taking them down and starting fresh at that point um, so she she agreed that yes these trees it'd be better to to get them nutrient in that is more disease resistant hopefully we wouldn't see the leaf drop and whatnot as those trees matured um, the other large tree that's going to be removed is a cottonwood tree and cottonwood trees are not things um, that we typically go to bat for from an urban forestry standpoint a cottonwood tree can lose a limb this big around on a beautiful sunny day without a bit of wind so um, the fact that that other tree is a cottonwood uh, she has recommended replacing it with what's called a European beech tree and that tree when it reaches maturity can be 50 to 60 feet tall very majestic the columnar shape which is great for an urban environment so she's put a lot of thought into this and like I say she's, she's just not in town this week to join us uh, but she's been keeping up on all the different reiterations of the plan that have come through and uh, the designers have been great to work with they've taken all of her advice um, she's gotten them to choose the tree species that she prefers because she thinks they'll they'll do better in our area so she's really been involved in the process and like I say the designers have been great they've taken all her advice and switched out the species and so so we're very satisfied with it um, and the comments that Josh shared came directly from her as well okay. are all the trees and, and landscaping that's gonna be removed on the riverside or is there anything on of the of the street or is there anything on the other side going to be removed at all you know the, the three trees that are going to be removed are all on the riverside and then they're going to put in new trees on both the riverside and the opposite side of the street so we'll actually be gaining uh, right now we'll be losing two crab apples we'll be gaining um we'll get those two back as josh mentioned and then i think seven more on the opposite side of the street so it will really add some uh, vertical interest on the opposite side of the street right now where we don't have a lot of trees thank you <clears throat> then, Josh, maybe one yeah. other question and maybe you can answer it, maybe not once this thing gets built <clears throat> who's going to control what activities can take place on this new plaza so currently we have an event process um, and that event process involves uh, a submission of an event uh, and an administrative review by the, the various departments so uh, an event here would uh, be involving the Department of Public Services uh, obviously emergency services get involved in review and seeing what it would impact and you know the duration and those types of things it also in this instance it would uh, include planning to have uh, sent to the Riverside um, apartments there so that they could have input on on things as well so it it goes through administrative review and then um, that those events come um, through our event process to City Council if they're a new event and so uh, that's the, the process currently uh, and I know that um, the DDA is, is looking at how that process runs and, 
and how that works and, and if this is kind of a unique different space and so they'll be looking at that in, in the future on, on that process. So will, will it be handled like some of the uh, park pavilions where you reserve it? Or if you and I, you and, I and some other people want to just show up and, uh, and use the space to hang out? So if it's, I mean, if it's, um, if it's a public event, so um, we'll pick like River Days, a, a large public event that mm -hmm. goes through the event process. If it's uh, people just wanting to gather down there um, for, you know, just a nice afternoon, um, that's just public space, open space there. Okay. I have a question about curfews. <clears throat> Riverside apartments with seniors are right near this location. Uh -huh. Would there be any, I understand there's going to be bands and so forth, which sounds like a great idea, except if someone is trying to sleep at a certain time at night, is there any curfew that would be? So, so right now we haven't received any um, event applications, uh, and so that would be something that we would look at, a, at and on a case-by-case -case basis for each event, what they're proposing, what the impacts would be, and then we would seek out that, that input as well from um, staff there at Riverside. Because there's amplification sound and there's acoustic sound. So, mm -hmm. so we, would, yeah. we would take that into consideration as, <clears throat> as these events come across and for review. So I, I don't know if there's I don't know if we have a formal curfew for downtown, um, but uh, any event process the event process looks at all that aspects and say, you know, how is this going to impact the residents? Who's this going to impact? How's this going to impact traffic and those types of things? But as of yet, there's nothing that's been uh, formalized or presented as uh, an event for that space. Okay, thank you. Uh -huh. um, so there's been a lot of give and take with this um, process. So originally, when I saw the original plans, there was a different under the bridge kind of um, lighting, and there was some concern about the mural that was there. Um, can you speak um, about that at all? Sure, so there was, um, so this project does include um, some lighting under the bridge, so, it, so uh, we have some street lighting, but there's also some enhanced lighting under the bridge there that will be included. There was also discussion about the mural. I think there was a, an initial concept that was um, you know, as you stated, it's been it's gone through various iterations, mm -hmm. and looking at things um, and looking at that mural, and um, and I believe it was stated last week that that mural would get um, uh, what's the right word? It's not enhanced, but it's basically refreshed and cleaned up, and and that would be kept. So, uh, one of the original concepts was that that was um, going to not be there, uh, but, but through review and and looking at that, uh, that that mural will will still be there. Any other questions for Josh? All right. <laughs> so we have lots of events downtown. Mm -hmm. um, River Days, as you mentioned, we have Larkin Beer Garden and other things going on. Have we had any complaints from anybody during those times when we have events? You know, um, it's an amazing space downtown with with all the the public uh, the event, public events that that occur, um, mm -hmm. and and it's great to, to see people down there and and all those great things. And and I have not heard of any complaints okay. or any issues um, from that. Nothing um, from the food fest for LPGA or you know I, I've, I I did not hear anything. I okay. heard positive feedback from uh, various folks down there and um, that uh, that it was good a good event for the downtown area. Um, I so no I don't I don't have any um, any complaints that that we've received regarding any event downtown. Okay. Any other questions? Josh? In my understanding, if you want to address parking, what's going to happen with the spaces that are there? Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's going to happen? Where can people park if there is an event? So, um, 
So currently there are, I believe there are six spaces there and those, um, the, the scope of the project is to narrow up the street and so on-street parking under that space would, would not be available. Um, but oftentimes when, when at least I see most of the events occurring downtown, it's in the evenings or on the weekends and we have that space down along the street by the east end that wraps around that, all that on-street parking there. And so on evenings and weekends, most of usually that's available. Um, and so then other parking in the other lots around town um, that, that are available. What about the lots right, at, right next to the east end? Those, you know, what of a part more of a so, parking lot? Yeah, so those are, um, I believe those are private lots. And so um, whether, you know, whether the event organizer would like to work with the, the owners of those lots and to, to see if they would be amenable to utilize, you know, allow use of those during those times. Um, but as stated, I, I don't have any events, and so there's nothing uh, programmed there, uh, but, but that would be an option. And, and oftentimes people work with local businesses and, and say, hey, we're having this event, can we use your parking lot? And, and they work through that process. That was part of the parking study that is ongoing, correct? I've heard that stated there. That they work with different property owners? That they're looking at that in the meeting, that they mentioned that in the meeting. Yeah, so that's a, that's a common thing with, with many events is, you know, what parking spaces become available. Most of our downtown parking and the parking lots that are city controlled um, in the evenings and on weekends, those become available for, for use. Does that include the Larkin par parking garage? So Larkin Parking Garage, um, the first, and I believe portions of the second floor, that mm -hmm. would be the case, okay. yes. There are some metered spots in there, and then there are some spaces above that are owned by a um, joint, um, by Chemical Bank, mm -hmm. and so we don't, we can't authorize that piece. Right. But again, there's been events that people have worked with, um, different property owners such as Chemical Bank, and they've allowed use of that, of those spaces. So. Any other questions for Josh? Okay, thank you very much. All right, thanks. Okay, so this is a public hearing, and I'm gonna open the public hearing in just a second. I forgot to tell you one important thing. If you come up to speak, please stand on the blue mat, and you need to state your name and address um, before you make your comments. So I'll open the public hearing, and I see that the um, representative from the Baseball Foundation is here, and that you were gonna want, it looked like you wanted to comment on parking. Do you wanna just respond to that? Thank you. If you would, please. David Raymaker, uh, 201 East Ellsworth, Unit 200. Um, Stephen, answer to your question, when we went to uh, Riverside and talked to them about our project, one of the issues that they had was parking. And so we then went to MidMichigan Health, who has the major parking um, lot that's from the East End piece that's right there by, by the plaza, where the proposed plaza is. And they've agreed to allow their their lot to be used after hours. So currently their lot or their office hours are till about 4.30 in the afternoon. So if it's an evening type function, a weekend type function, that lot will be made available for um, the plaza to be used. And that, that part is not gated. I know some of it is gated. Yes, that part is not gated. Okay. So because they have public that goes in and parks there so that they can go in to use the clinic. So it, it is a, it is a, easy access spot. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. Comments?
<clears throat> My name's Eric Anders, 1408 Lee Street. I'm not feeling real well today. Five o'clock, I sent you all a copy of this. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it. If you haven't had a chance to read it, I'll read it. If you want, I'll just take questions about the content in here. Basically, I'm against this because once again, we're putting the cart before the horse. This has not been a well thought out idea. Um, I don't know who the we is that decided that this is what the city needed. <clears throat> I'm sorry. But they never asked me. Um, I did go to both parking uh, open houses this last Tuesday. And one of the things that, the first thing they said when I came into the meeting room was, Midland has a parking problem. And I said, yeah, I know, I've been saying that for 10 years. And they said, it's a fairly easy problem to try to rectify, and we can fix it fairly quickly, but we have to get the commitment of all parties involved. And, and one of the things that this gathering space is going to do is add the need for more parking. In addition to the 700 uh, students that, commuter students that Delta's gonna bring, this thing can attract hundreds of, of people to the east end of, of downtown on any given night. It doesn't have to be an event scheduled. They can just gather there. Um, if I was a small business owner in Midland, this idea would scare the hell out of me because I can just see my parking in front of my business being taken for somebody that's going to run down to the end of the street and grab a, grab a beer. Um, this should really go before the people, and, and before it goes before the people, in February, the DDA, Josh said in February, the DDA approved this, this demolition of the 12 parking spaces on East Main Street, gave some private entity the authority to, to bulldoze that so they can have a gathering space. In April, the DDA spent $33,406 for a parking study because there is a perceived problem in Midland that, that we have, this city has a parking problem. Well, <laughs> we've now taken 18 parking spots on Main Street and, and bulldozed them for vibrancy. And to me, that doesn't make much sense. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Please, just, there's one in the back first. And then. Hi there, my name is Jim Barker. Um, I run Midland Impressions. I'm a new person back to Midland, but I was born and raised here. And I am the one that brought the Circle Wine Garden to Midland, kind of as a sister event to the Larkin Beer Garden to utilize another part of the city that wasn't necessarily being utilized. And also have launched the Midland Food Truck Festival, which is another part of the city using the Midland Town Center. So I'm excited to be a part of 
bringing new and fun events to Midland and excited to have a new venue. Um, Can I have your address, Mr. Oh, Barker? I'm sorry. It's Jim Barker, 1940 South Bedore. Yeah. Um, I'm excited to at least have a possibility of having some additional space to do something new and different. Um, new venues are always exciting and, and you can kind of come up with something interesting that fits the venue. Um, I guess I, I just would like to reassure myself that so the event process is no one's going to be utilizing this space all the time. It's for anyone to use, whether they just want to casually gather there or if they want to put an event application into the city to do something else that becomes obviously a, an issue for confirmation from the, the process. Um, just wanted to make sure that that is basically for anyone to be using. Um, second issue I have is after hosting many events, um, one of the things I've been working with my porta potty vendor, um, Shankle Septic Services, is they're hauling porta potties all over town for me. So hosting an event without some sort of restrooms, no matter what the event is, whether you're um, serving water or if you have approval to serve alcohol for a charitable cause, it, there's going to be no addressing any kind of a porta potty issue with the construction of this. That's the only thing that I guess I would like to proffer is that is it possible to at least figure out if there's a way to find some additional money to figure out some sort of a port of, some sort of a restaurant situation like you have at the farmers market so that you're not having porta potties brought in all the time because obviously they're you know not necessarily the most sightly things out there so I'm intrigued at the concept of having an additional space so I <clears throat> lend my support to the cause um, so I guess I just wanted to to state that and one other side issue um, is when you bring in new trees, I know that when you did the downtown streetscape, they ran into an issue where the design of where the trees were going were not big enough for the root balls, so the more mature trees they had hoped to put in got condensed down to smaller trees. Is there any kind of a plan for having bigger trees put in versus a little tiny two-inch sapling? I guess that would be the only issue I had a question on. Um, has anyone considered the ability of throwing a little more money at it and buying a bigger tree or transporting and transplanting a tree from somewhere else that's healthy to bring it in so we can gain a few more years on the trees. So that's uh, just fun to bring that up. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. My name is Ron Parmalee. I live at 5415 Wallbridge Lane in Midland. My, my comments are a little bit different in the sense that I wish the money and energy that's being expended on the downtown would in, in some small part be increased to address uh, the people in our town that are struggling. And that is to say people that do not have roofs over their heads, uh, that don't have the resources to uh, feed themselves, and that don't have job opportunities. Um, we're spending millions of dollars downtown for, I guess, entertainment. But uh, in the housing study that I saw, that presented by Grant Marshall at a League of Women Voters meeting, there were, I believe, 240 people that did not have, or 240 family units that did not have permanent housing. Um, I've seen statistics where this city has you know, between poverty and ALEC has 38% of the population. And um, that concerns me. It concerns me from the standpoint of, as, a, as, uh, as a, 
as a citizen, as it concerns me for the reference point that the council has and the reference point that this, the, the foundations have. Um, so I, I kind of made the same comment when this streetscape thing came up. I said, you're spending $9 million downtown. Could you spend a little less and spend a little bit more on people? I would like to see more jobs created. We, lo we just lost Quad Graphics, 300 jobs. Maybe we'll pick up a few more in the uh, Savant expansion, 30 to 40. Doesn't make up for the 300 lost. Um, the result of that housing study seemed to indicate we have plenty of houses for, you know, Dow people, but uh, we're short on the affordable housing end. And I hear how difficult it is to build affordable housing that, uh, you know, you, you, can't, you can't build from scratch an affordable apartment complex. Um, what I think one of the Rapanos has said that his housing project with 250,000 was affordable housing, I don't think that's quite in the same category. So in summary, my point is, why aren't we spending more time on the people in Midland that are struggling, helping them with affordable housing, educational opportunities, jobs, um, before we concentrate all our efforts on entertainment. Thank you. Any other comments? All right, then seeing none, I'm gonna close the public hearing. Erica, would you please read the resolution? Um, resolution A. This resolution accepts a gift from the Michigan Baseball Foundation to expand the scope of the Main Street streetscape to include a plaza area. The gift includes an in-kind donation for design services in the amount of $82,150 and construction funding of $1,017,850 for a total gift of $1,100,000. Can we have a motion to accept the resolution? So moved. Second. Okay, first and second. All right. Um, Mr. Kay, there, there was a few questions asked. I don't know if they are easy questions to answer. If so, could you quickly there's, answer those? There's a few, but I'm going to farm them out uh, to staff here. Okay. So, so Josh, um, in particular, the, the, the comment was made, I believe it was Mr. Anders, about the number of parking spaces that are going to be removed. Can you just clarify that? So up um, based on the, the future design and what's existing there there would be six spots that would be lost and then um, mr. mr. Barker you asked the question of uh, confirming whether or not this space would be available to everyone um, as was presented it will be it'll be controlled by the city uh, particularly through the DDA and actually quite frankly through Josh's department through the event process so anybody that wishes to utilize the space can apply and request approval to utilize this space and then through the event process we would determine whether or not the use as proposed was appropriate and further to that some of the concerns that came up about noise um, I think that was you councilman Hall um, those things are controlled through the permit process and in addition if they don't go well um, when they come back we can talk to them and, and either change the permit or deny the permit in future cycles. So that is something that we do watch. 
Um, and then I think this is probably more uh, Mr. Raymaker should answer this than anything. He's not staff, so that's your, your discretion. But regards to the porta potties, I know the, the restroom question was looked at, as well as whether or not larger trees are being planted or could be planted. Josh, I don't know if that's you or Mr. Raymaker. So, um, so if I may, just the the bathroom portion of things when we discuss that, and, and we'll allow Mr. Raymaker if you want to speak to that as well, uh, if Mayor, if you want him to. Um, that was, uh, from a staff perspective, there's a, there's a maintenance and an upkeep cost that's associated with that. And I think that that, um, and most events around town, as was stated, when they bring the event to town, they're responsible for that. And so the, the event bears the cost of the port of the port of Johns, as opposed to the city bearing the cost of building, constructing, maintaining, cleaning, um, uh, the upkeep of a, of a restroom. And so for that reason, we hadn't, uh, we hadn't included that from, from our discussions. Um, the, the tree section of things, uh, talking about trees, um, trees and, and moving larger diameter trees, um, it's, it's a nice thing and they can be done. It's a very expensive. And in fact, what's actually found is smaller trees, they, they transplant quicker, better, and after a few years, they'll catch up to the, to the larger specimens. Um, and so there's, um, yeah, you get some initial, um, initial you know, a large tree initially, but a, a smaller tree that we planted and we're using two and a half inch caliber trees, which is what we use on all the rest of the downtown area. Um, those trees catch up to those larger trees after a few years. And so there's, there is a little bit of time lag in there, um, but the stress on, on transplanting a, a larger tree with a tree spade and, and all of that actually uh, slows its growth for, for several years until it can reestablish itself because it's such a larger mass of roots and, and leaves and limbs that it needs to, to um, re-nourish. So. I think, I think yeah. Mr. Barber had a little bit different question or comment, and that was, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I think the, the point is, is, you know, can we learn from, if there was a mistake made before where we didn't have a large enough spot to plant the trees that were ordered, and we had to then basically send them back and put smaller ones in is kind of what his, he thought was true. So anyway, regardless, yep. I think make sure that, yep. that what the size hole we've got yes. fits the size trees that and, we're, we're and putting so in. so that was factored into, um, I, I don't recall that as part of that, but uh, obviously during the design process, we look at that, those reviews that, that was talked about um, by, um, by um, with our city horticulturist, her reviews of things, looking at that on, on the size and space and the, and the open space around the tree, the size of hole that, that it could be planted in, the size of root ball that would be associated with those trees was all factored into the design. And let me get a clarification on the parking. I think Mr. Raymaker pointed out that basically a large amount of parking, relatively large, will be opened up during sort of the evening and weekend hours by, uh, the, the, even though it's privately owned, they'll let people use it, which is great. But, you know, I know for the, in the downtown Main Street parking area, you've got the bollards you can remove and then when you're not when you don't have an event basically people can parallel park will that not work here so if you don't have an event can you not have those same parking spots available um no because it's not really established it wouldn't be painted for for parking um, that's not part of what's included um, what's being utilized so we have the street cross section which would have you know you have your base and everything that would support a vehicle uh, and then we do have some spaces off of that that would support vehicles for future events and things like that. But that hasn't been something that's been included for to to count that as on street parking in the future. Well, why can't you just use? I mean, I assume that where the people are parking right now, 
you'd still be able, because you're, you're, what you're basically doing is you're keeping it still narrow street mm -hmm. path yeah. that you allow what would have been existing parking to continue to be used if there's not an event. So on the, on the streetscape that's been constructed so far, you have several things. You have the bollards and then you also have planters that are along there that help delineate where those parking spaces are. This space is a little bit different in the context of that it's, um, that it doesn't have that same delineation. You have well, the bridge piers. But bridge piers are further back. Okay. And so there, and there's only three of those on that one side. And so um, this space wouldn't have those same planters and that same delineation that would mark where a vehicle could park or not park. It's more of an open space. Yeah. Um, and so. Well, I, I would just suggest maybe take a double double look at it because paint's cheap if it just amounts to painting lines. And I don't think people are going to drive off the road. But anyway, it, if there's going to, if we have a bigger parking issue we're working on, it seems like if we can do a small change that would accommodate it, it would be be reasonable to do that. Okay, thanks. Okay. So then that, the only other comment, uh, Mr. Parmley at the end uh, referenced the challenge that we have in the city with housing. Um, and I think that's something that we would all agree with, but what's in front of council is obviously a gift that is being offered to you to accept or not. And it's not a matter of we can rechannel these funds uh, for that purpose. So just clarifying that. Okay, thank you. All right, discussion. Well, this project, <laughs> okay. I mean, we've been looking at Main Street for a long time when we started with Project for Pu Public Spaces and the mural went up and how we were going to begin to develop, you know, this area. And, um, you know, the fact that it was done in phases, we got the road done, you know, then the, the pergola areas came with gifts from um, organizations and, and businesses, which was wonderful. And I think this, this gift is another um, gift to the community that is a public space. Um, I had opportunity to hear the folks from um, Michigan Future, which is a think tank out of Ann Arbor, talk about what communities need to do, what we need to do to make a Mich Michigan a stronger place. And you know, he talked about a few things, and one of those things were, was placemaking, the importance of placemaking as it relates to how do we attract you know talent here for the businesses that are here. And so I think. We have one major national or natural resource in Midland, which is our river. And I think we've been doing a lot of work to develop that, to enhance that, to, to um, you know, show it off the best we can. And the rest of the beauty we have to create. Unfortunately, we're not Aspen, Colorado or Traverse City. And you know, we have to create all of our own beauty. And I think um, the community, and, and fortunately for us, we've been gifted a lot um, to help do those things to to, uh, to create that. So I think this is on another wonderful gift to the community and I'm excited about that. And it wasn't a surprise. We did know there was a pause with completing that end of the Main Street streetscape. And so it has to be finished. The funding, you know, we had some already put set aside for that and then we have all the, fo the foundations and um, that are providing it, so it's not taxpayer dollars, so it is a nice gift for the city. Um, yeah, let me comment as well. Um, it's appreciate Mr. Parmley coming and reminding us about our, our conscience and our, our obligations to those uh, less, less wealthy than others. Um, but that's part of making the city better, mm -hmm. is helping everybody. Uh, one of the other things is, and Maureen, you pointed it out, is developing a riverfront. I mean, any city that's got a, a water 
feature of some sort, whether it be, you know, Traverse Bay, Lake Michigan, you know, Lake Huron, Saginaw Bay, or a river, which is what we have, developing that helps improve the impression of the community. And so um, this, although it seems a kind of an unlikely spot currently, um, it does push things towards the east end, but I'm hopeful that sometime in the, in the future we'll develop that 4D property to be a little more scenic and it'll be more of a, something to look at other than a, an abandoned industrial site, which it more or less is right now. So I think from that perspective, it's, it's a good thing. I mean, we have to still be thankful for the foundations, uh, the Baseball Foundation and others who have donated to, to make this a possibility, and it's a public space. I think that's important to, to remember, and most of the time, I think it will be a public space. It won't be reserved and have constant activities. Um, I will say that the bathroom issue is, is probably something that if the Baseball Foundation wants to do something that really draws people down to that end, uh, doing something, whether you bolt on to the, uh, the stadium, bolt on to the East End building, so you use an existing building and you add on to it rather than create a standalone structure so that way you have some, some, some supervision and some maintenance, I think that should be considered. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things that Larkin Beer Gardens pointed out uh, that to me is, is the negative is the porta potties at, at that site. Uh, they can be quite offensive. Um, so that kind of takes away from the benefits. So the bathrooms probably can't be, and it's not just people drinking beer, it's, it's mothers with uh, young children that still need diapers changed and, and kids who just decide that they need to go to the bathroom right now. Um, so. Uh, there's some improvements that can be made, but otherwise, I think it is overall something that's good uh, for the community um, and will help the city generally in terms of them improving our riverfront. Any other comments? I support concept. Uh, the thing I really do like about it is actually it's finally giving a good connection to the east side to downtown. It seems like that's really been lacking. Um, it's just kind of an empty space there and everything. I think this kind of is a good concept that combines the two areas and it will help both areas into it. Let me just add and reiterate what Brad said. I think the, the one concern that we have the, less, the least amount of control over is how it's being used and through the permitting process and uh, you know, hopefully we'll keep that so we don't disturb or basically make it something that the Riverside uh, tenants will enjoy as much as the rest of the community. And okay. significant effort went into detailing the landscaping, knowing that some is being removed, but it's we're going to have new landscaping down there, and uh, so we aren't losing anything there either. All right, sure. then you ready to vote? Okay, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. That takes us to item number B. So would you please read that resolution? This resolution amends the 2019-2020 Major Street Fund budget to increase revenues and expenditures by $1,017,850 to provide budgetary authorization for the addition of a plaza area to the 2017 Main Street Streetscape project. The resolution also authorizes $959,845 of additional expenditures to Fisher Contracting Company for construction of the Main Street Plaza and $58,005 of additional expenditures to OHM Advisors for construction inspection and project management. Great. Can we have a motion to accept that resolution? So moved. Second. I have a first and second. Any discussion? All right. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? 
All right, that passes 5-0. And that takes us down to item number three. But before I, we move there, I just have to say, hey, Josh, I think you're feeling pretty comfortable with us now that you kind of joked about November 15th. So <laughs> it's nice to see that. It's a great day. Yeah, hoo-hoo. <laughs> All right, so item number three has to do with uh, general fund budget, and Mr. Keenan is here to tell us about that. Um, so if you recall, during the budget planning process, we talked quite a bit about this amount of personal property tax reimbursement that we'd be getting. And on, uh, on May 20, we actually received $3.9 million of unrestricted personal property tax reimbursement, or PPT. Uh, that's also the same date that we adopted the city budget. So due to the timing of those, uh, the closeness of those two timings, not knowing what the amount was going to be, we did not, we elected not to include any of it within the budget. However, a small portion of it was uh, earmarked to re replenish the budget stabilization reserve. So on August 5th, um, I presented recommendations to you of, of places to use those funds. Um, $1.9 million for MERS, and the story behind that is since we met in January, we, re we have received the actual report and our net funding level from MERS decreased by that amount, so as of 12-31-18, so this would help replenish that uh, to make up for the subpar market performance of that calendar year. The police and fire pension uh, proposal to put 304,255 there uh, was a result of uh, we had a, um, a grievance that went to arbitration and we had an unfavorable Result, we also learned about that amount in April, which was past the budget process, so this would be able to make the budget whole um, to cover those costs. Uh, you're gonna hear a little bit tonight about, um, later on, uh, when I'm done, about what's going on with the, the, the sewer study, the response to that. That also impacts the stormwater fund, and the conversations were that a couple years out, that fund is gonna be uh, stretched pretty thin, so let's put some money in the fund balance to keep it fiscally healthy for the next handful of years. Uh, the 994-515 was the amount essentially that we used to budget the 18 or to balance the 1920 budget that council said, Dave, you can take that out of the budget stabilization reserve, but once we get the PPT money back, you have to put it back. So that represents putting the money back. And after we consider all of this, the amount that was remaining was 242,356, which staff also indicated, let's put that in the stabilization reserve as well. Um, council supported the recommendations and set a public hearing for tonight. So tonight what we really need to do is amend the 1920 general fund budget to pick up 2,723,053 of additional expenses. We're essentially taking that money out of savings. Uh, it went into savings last year when we received the PPT money. That would take care of the MERS pension payment, the police and fire pension payment, as well as the transfer to the stormwater fund. And finally, um, in terms of the budget stabilization, because we're not authorizing spending the money, we're really just taking it out of one bucket of the fund balance and putting it in another one to be more restrictive. That's simply done through a resolution or part of the resolution that you would be approving. Um, so that would increase the budget stabilization reserve by 1,236,871, and the new balance would be 5,776,443. So, there's any questions for me um, what would be left would be uh, holding the public hearing the resolution if approved would amend the budget and increase the stabilization reserve 
as presented, then it requires a three-fifths vote. Any questions for Mr. Keenan? Okay, thank you. You're welcome. This is a public hearing. I'll open the public hearing. Anyone want to speak on behalf of petition? Anyone opposed? All right, seeing none, we'll close the public hearing. And Erica, will you please read the resolution? This resolution amends the 2019-2020 general fund budget by increasing expenditures by $2,723,053 to appropriate a portion of the personal property tax reimbursement received on May 20th, 2019 and commits an additional $1,236,871 of general fund fund balance to the budget stabilization reserve. We have a motion to accept the resolution. So moved. Second. We have a first and second. Any discussion? Great job, yeah. you and your staff pulling this together and uh, fully supported as is. Anything else? Yeah. Likewise, I think you focused on, on the areas that are important. I think you've, you've, you're basically balancing our current budget. You're in layman's terms, re, re, uh, refilling our rainy day fund, <coughs> putting money towards the flood remediation and funding our pension. I mean, those are, those are the big things that we need to do. So right on the money. Anything else? All right then. All in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? It passes 5-0. Thank you. Okay, that takes us down to public comment. This is an opportunity, to, opportunity for people to um, address council on issues that are relevant to council business, but not on tonight's agenda. Is there anyone who has public comment this evening? Okay, seeing none, then we'll move on. That to item number four, which is the storm and sanitary um, sewer activities and mm -hmm. Mr. Frizee is here to give us an update. I'm here for the August 2019 Storm and Sanitary Sewer Activities Update Report. <clears throat> Finger straight here. October 29th, 2018, City Council approved the staff recommendations of the 2018 Storm and Sanitary Sewer Study. Most of the work completed since then has been in the Priority 1 and 2 areas uh, as defined in the original study. Priority 1 projects are defined, if, as, just as a reminder, as those that will have the most significant impact on reducing flood potential in the city. Priority 2 are very similar and may depend on Priority 1 projects being completed. Some of the storm sewer specific staff recommendations we mentioned with you was about eight months ago. What we're going to be working on were Sturgeon Creek maintenance, Sturgeon Creek culverts, Snake Creek culverts, Jacobs drain work, and storm sewer inspections. So we'll hit those tonight for storm sewer. Uh, first one, Sturgeon Creek maintenance. So since we last met, we've done a lot of work uh, in the area. At the end of 2018, uh, Wastewater Department, in conjunction with parks and um, forestry, it's a large project around Surgeon Creek where the Saginaw Road culvert is. And we cleared hundreds of trees uh, out of that area, debris. Um, just actually finished up this summer with some of the, the down wood that we weren't able to get out of there last summer, last winter before the spring rains came and made it wet. So here you have some before pictures uh, of that project. In addition to that large scale project, wastewater staff have, have removed four dams from that area between, on the Sturgeon Creek between Saginaw Road and Wackerley Road. This summer we've been hard at work. This is two of those dams that we've cleared out of the way. So we have some before pictures of what those look like. Uh, a few more of 
some trees down down and you see some sediment that kind of built up and backed up as a result of the water water slowing down behind those trees here's some more uh, I don't know if you'll come good pictures, but pictures of dams that we've cleared. You see here on the left, you'll see a couple of tractor tires, uh, looks like a picture frame, some hose, maybe some fence. So those areas have been cleaned out by wastewater staff. And over here you had what was a stormwater outlet into, into a, a ditch that was severely overgrown that we've cleaned up and taken care of as well. Um, here are some pictures of the after, what, what it looks like now in that, in that area. Um, a few more here, and I do want to highlight some of the things you'll see in these pictures. Um, you see here afterwards, you'll see some debris piled up uh, on the banks there. Uh, and so these are the last two I want to talk about for the after pictures. And you see there on the left, you'll see debris that's been cut and stacked that's high on the bank. And a lot of these areas, you know, we city staff, after we get this wood taken care of, we don't have a lot of access to some of these areas to get these big pieces of wood out of there. We don't have the boats or we can't get trucks down there. It may be steep ravines or so a lot of times what we'll do and it's also the county county commissioners um, responses we'll cut these into small pieces put them high as we can in the bank and if it does flood and rains do come back high again the expectation is and what usually happens is those were small enough that they'll flow through the culverts and out to the river and out into the watershed many communities do it this way we don't we won't do this unless we have to if we can get staff and crew down there we will remove those pieces but it's not always not always feasible uh, for us to remove four dams this year, some things like this had to be had to be done. Uh, you see on the right, you'll see that nice, clean-looking, looking creek, and then you see this, that alive tree, uh, angling across the river. Um, that so while I'm, we're happy that we have these things cleaned, we know that there are issues uh, coming for us in the future. There are a large amount of these trees that are ready to fall. Some that are dead, some that are not dead, and we are working on policy. Uh, Policy and directions as, as the city is how do we move forward removing all of these trees? Um, I can't possibly within our budgets that we have remove every dead or angling angled tree in the city, so we have to, to do these things uh, in a studied, careful manner. I know for Sturgeon Creek, we have a project coming later this year and the next year. We're going to try to remove all these trees from Saginaw Road to Wackerly on the Sturgeon Creek that are on city property. Of course, we can't do those that are in private. We can do those that are in public. So we'll work to identify where the public land is and, and go from there. So while we have made significant improvements, we know there's a lot a lot left to deal with, um, but we feel that we've made a significant improvement this year on some of the dams and, and areas that were identified in the original storm, storm study. Oops, sorry about that. So like I mentioned, a large-scale project is coming forward uh, for this year and the next year. And in addition to this work, the culverts along the Sturgeon Creek uh, were verified in size to be at the 100-year flood level which is above the city's 10-year, 24-hour standard. State Creek culverts. Uh, this funding was really just there for us July 1st with the new budget year. But we are working in, in conjunction with the engineering department and working on putting together a project. We'll be studying the hydraulic capacities of the culverts, the Snake Creek at North Saginaw, Castle Drive, West Wheeler, and Sylvan. A Jacob's Drain. This is one that, um, to go back to the original study, the consultants couldn't find exactly what had, what, had, what had happened in that area, but they, they suspected there was a blockage somewhere in the drain. If you go, this is out, uh, this is the fairgrounds. You see here, here's the racetrack. And up here to the, this would be the northeast, I believe. Um, this drain goes underground at this point, crawls under, uh, under the fairgrounds. Still underground, eventually comes back open uh, on this side of the, of the fairgrounds. So the blockage, they didn't know where, and there it was. Um, 
So we're left to, to figure out how to find that. Something that city staff isn't really equipped to do. So we had that work included with the bid for red zone. So red zone used their robotics um, to help us identify, identify um, where that blockage was. And it turned out to be, from losing the pointer here, somewhere in this area, there was a large blockage of debris, wood, sand, and silt that we had, in conjunction with our crews and red zone's crews, we removed that, moved that blockage and taken, since taken care of it. So there was a blockage there, roughly 30 to 50% full from what we had, we had heard. And you'll hear this from me a few times tonight. What we don't know is, is that acute or chronic? So was that blockage there from 20 years of buildup? Or was that blockage there from the last time it rained and I just deposit right there when, when the water went away? Um, we all assumed that during the flood of 17 that all of these pipes were basically um, blown clean, right? With all the flow we had, that it, it kind of flushed everything out and left it clear. But that's something as a staff we have to study. Are these things acute? Are they chronic? Um, do, they need more, do they need more inspections on a more frequent basis? That's something we're defining uh, as we go here. So as I mentioned, this does run at the fairgrounds, and it is part of the was part of our red zone um, specifications and work to be done. Uh, storm sewer inspections. So priority one areas have been cleaned and inspected in the storm sewer. Areas of concern after we've been done are Eastman Road between Saginaw Road and Sylvan Street, Jefferson between Saginaw Road and Haley Street, and Dublin Avenue south of Saginaw Road. Again, it goes back to that same discussion about are they, are they acute or chronic? So what we're, at least in the, in the meantime, what we're doing is, if you go back to our, way, way back we discussed these things maybe a year ago, our sanitary sewer inspections are on a two-year running basis, so we try to inspect every inch of sanitary sewer every two years. Storm sewers run a six-year rotating cycle. It may turn out to be that our six-year cycle is not frequent enough. We may have to put some more time and effort, people towards these, especially these areas here, to get getting them inspected and having them looked at. So what we're hoping to do is, in conjunction with this, we've discussed Red Zone doing all of our sanitary inspections. We're hoping that as we do that, we can identify areas that don't need to be inspected as, as frequently shift that staff and those man hours to the storm and have an offset of personnel charges and costs but still get more inspections done. And we'll discuss that here in a little bit. I see Steve looking yeah. a little confused. Mr. Yeah, Kosmanowski, I'm not confused. But what you just said yes. with Red Zone, I thought they were uh, running their their uh, sensors through all of our sanitary sewers. Correct. So we'll get, I'm sorry okay. if I'm confused. We'll get that here in a minute. But what we're seeing is we may have to increase those inspections in those areas um, specifically. Many areas came back clean. We may be okay, but they go a little bit longer. Probably two areas are underway. Uh, we'll, those hope to be done before, at the end of the calendar year, maybe the first quarter of 2020. Sanitary sewer updates. So we'll go to the other side here. So within the sanitary sewer system staff recommendations, we had sewer system monitoring, asset characterization program, footing drain disconnection program, and pump station supervisory control and data acquisition, which basically is our telemetry, which we will discuss here in a little bit and was approved earlier tonight. So sanitary sewer system monitoring. We had a few different facets uh, within this, in this uh, section. So to accomplish the monitoring, we've, we've bought and installed rain gauges uh, throughout the city. They aren't, they aren't necessarily online yet. That'll be on, those will go online with our telemetry as we finish that project. But the goal of the rain gauges is to create a quadrant. So basically divide the city in four, get a rain gauge that responds back to the plant in real time. So we know what each section of the city is seeing for rainfall. You remember back to the 2017 event, we had, I think, seven inches of rain at the airport and three, three and a half at the plant. So at the plant, we never had any idea uh, that there was this much rain in the other half of the city that with, with that water coming our way, 
this type of system should help us prevent that in the future and have us help better set up the system and the plant for higher flows as they come. We were also able to, with the rain gauges, uh, we pestered NOAA over and over and over, and eventually they gave us a, an actual certified rain station at the plant. They're going to put that online with their other, their other rain stations. They'll be reporting our data at the plant real time with everybody else's. We have a little bit of skin in the game in terms of the work and maintenance to be done in that system, but we feel pretty good that we were able to get that system installed with the City Midlands Wastewater Plant and have that be a part of their, their system. Now, we've been doing portable flow meters. So part of the sewer system monitoring was monitoring flows in probably one or two areas um, that eventually will get built back into the, to the models we developed in 2017. These portable flow meters and the data generator are crucial just developing real-time solutions and thus being able to identify things like footing drain disconnection. Um, if you remember back, the model was generated. We didn't have time, but during that time the models were generated, we didn't have a lot of time, years, to monitoring flow, gathering all that data, and then taking the time to generate these models with real-time data. At the time, we did it at six months, I believe. So we used, which is just fine, engineering standards. Um, some historical data and we have the models gener generated with that data. Now that we have this flow metering data from these flow meters, it can be put back into the models and we can get real-time data for real-time solutions as to what, what we're looking at. So the goal would be, I, I can't put a date on it, but in, in the near future, as we come back to you and we say, all right, originally we presented $118 million in solutions for the city. Ideally, these portable flow meters will take these solutions, get them right-sized and allow us to have a smaller portion, smaller price tag for our fixes as we identify what's actually out there. So these are portable, you move them around? That is correct. Every so often? That is correct. And we're going to, we own those? Those are ours, yep, okay. our staff uh, moves those and installs those, that's correct. And then the modeling project, which is going to start uh, in 2019, so we're going to take all this flow metering data I just discussed, we're going to take the data generated from the red zone project and have this data put back into the models and then have these models recalibrated uh, with the previous level of service and have us look at what's really going on uh, with today's numbers, today's flows. Um, so with these meters, we've had baseline flow recordings have been made over the past year. So when we install these meters in an area to record flow, we need at least six to nine months to gather what we need. So we need a long period of dry weather so we can establish what do these sewers look like when they're dry. Um, then we need a couple of good rain events so we can see how much they spike when we get water. If you can recall back to our flooding event in 2017, we went from a daily average flow of 6 million gallons a day, which is what the plant typically treats on a dry weather day, to around 90 million gallons within 24 hours. So that 6 million to 90 million, where is that coming from? These flow meters, if they're there during dry weather and wet weather, we can capture where some of these flows are coming from and better define what's going on within the system allowing us to better vet our solutions as we go forward. It's not just flushing toilets, is what you're saying. No, there's a lot of toilets, <laughs> a lot of toilets. And I'll show you a graphic in a little bit that'll make, hopefully make a right. sort of little light onto the subject. So, here we go. So this is from Perrin and Stony Creek, and this is a complicated graph, and I'm gonna to try to walk you through it and make it a little bit simple. Not that you can't all understand it. Um, the top right here, you see that this period of time is zero rain. We're looking at Perrin and Stony Creek on July 16th of 2019. All I want to look at here is this column here. So this is the gallons per minute flow in that sewer on a dry day. If I go to the peak on that screen, it's about 10 o'clock in the morning, and we're looking at about what, 300, 
gallons per minute roughly on a dry weather day. So if I go to my next screen, same pump station or same flow meter, this time I have had about 1.2 inches of rain. And if I go to that same time, like I said, 6 no, 10. 10 p.m., sorry, 10 a.m., I go over 10 a.m. to this screen here, correct? Yep. So you notice my scaling has changed. Hose have gone up so fast, the scaling's changed. So if I go to 10 a.m. and go up here, I'm roughly 1,000 gallons a minute. So my flows in that sewer have tripled from that 1.2 inches of rain. And if you look down here in this bottom scale, this is the rain. As that rain came up, that flow peaked almost instantly. So these are the things, as we do the flow monitoring we're looking at. Yeah. I don't have answers for all this yet. We have, I've got thousands of these graphs, thousands of these data points to incorporate into our model and to look at. I thought this one night was a good example of what we're trying to find out, what we're trying, trying to look at, because that flow... you got rainwater going into the Something's system. going on there. That's immediate, correct. And that flow is three times as high when it's wet. So those are the kind of things we need to look for and that we need to try to figure out how to, how to handle those. So asset characterization. Uh, this was basically the red zone work. Big name for red zone. So here is a graph, a chart, of what's going on with red zone and what we've accomplished. If you look on the left, under description, we've got pipe sizes in the city. And over here, the linear feet that were videoed, they were supposed to be videoed per contract, how much the video is complete. And if you remember, once these videos were complete, they had engineers who were going to grade those videos and tell us the condition of our pipes. So they were videoed, step one. That video was scored and graded as a step two. So over here, you see they've actually finished videoing all of the 15, 18-inch pipe, the 21 to 30-inch pipe, and the 36 to 48-inch pipe. Um, those are those are done, and the left, left what's left finished is the eight to twelve inch pipe. Uh, we'll discuss that timeline here in a few slides, uh, maybe next. And over here you have percentage of completed video that's also been coded. So you see they're making a lot of progress. Originally they told us eighteen months. I think we're going to beat that by a fair margin if uh, things stay things stay the course here. So what do you mean by coding? Coding is after the video is done. There's a national grading system for, for sewer, sewer lines, for pipelines, and they're going to go through and grade all of that, every linear foot, and tell us what the grade of that pipe is, hoping that they, if they find a hole or a crack or a, or, a, or a defect, they'll grade that, five being the worst, one being the best, and I'll show you one here, an actual defect here in a few moments. Um, they'll tell us where, where that pipe grades to and what, what's causing it to be that grade, and we can then go through and look and see if that's a reason or maybe an example of why they're having inflow water in that area of the sewers. You've got manhole inspection on this chart. but That is correct. Is that intended to be video? Excuse me. No, that's a manhole inspection. Those will be done it's after visual. the videos are done. Those will be done by the end of the calendar year. Okay. So they're going to do 4,500 inspections between now and December 31st. Okay. And they'll grade them as well? They'll grade those as well. That is correct. That was okay. part, of the, uh, part of the scope. Can you explain how we got to the 109% on the I certainly contest, can, yep, so I, that everybody's clear? Yep, I meant to get to that, thank you. Um, so when we wrote the, the spec, we put in a plus or minus 10% for if we go over, under part of our bid. Um, they actually found, you see there, that 109% actually equates to about 5,000 feet of pipe. So they found through their inspections 5,000 feet of pipe that weren't on our GIS and we didn't, we didn't know existed. So those... As part of this, part of the, 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 you know, the bonuses of doing this project is when this is all said and done, we'll overlay this entire layer back to GIS and we'll back populate 5,000 feet of pipe that we never knew existed. So you can imagine if we didn't know it existed, it probably wasn't the cleanest of pipe or in the best condition of pipe. 
So it helps us take care of some things that we didn't know were it's going a, it's on. It's a mile of pipe. Correct. Yeah. So that's uh, another another good, good aspect of having this red zone project taken care of. So uh, some key dates for, asset, for the red zone asset characterization. November 30, 2019 is a date that they should be done videoing all of our sewers in the city, and they'll have their trucks and their crews, their crews out. Um, again, that's tentative as long as they stay the course, so that's what they've told us the last few months. It doesn't mean that they're done. Remember, that's the video done. They still have to grade and code the video that's, that's left, that they've done. That still takes a good, I'm going to say, six to nine months, based on what we've seen, to have those come back and have us actually be able to look at those, look at those videos with scores on them. To date, they've, they've videoed 584,000, over 584,000 feet of sewer, and they have 4,580 manholes to be inspected this calendar year, according to their, uh, their schedule here. So this is a report that I took off of their, their um, software that we have. I'm going to simplify this one too. What I want to show you is all the way on the right. Actually, we'll go with start, start, start with the left. Structural grade 1 to 5. And you'll see a number of 1 to 2 is a good number. A score of 4 to 5 would indicate poor. And if I go over here to this pie graph, it shows that, so what is that? I can't even read my own numbers here. 50.4. 50.4 is good. And we have 6.2 is poor, but some of that we haven't finished yet. So if I go to this column here, it shows of 100% being done, 50 is not known yet, it's not graded. I'm sorry, 50 is not videoed yet. 11 is not graded. And of the part that is graded and done, roughly 3% is in that four to five poor range, which is what we're looking for. Um, if we're gonna find infill and infiltration, things that are causing our flows to increase when it rains, it's gonna be in this four to five range. So I have the next few slides of some video showing you what a four to, what, what does a four to five look like and how do we fix it? What, what are we looking at? Before you do, the, sure. the two pie charts, maybe explain the one on the left versus the one on the right. Obviously the one on the left's got, looks like half the, half the pie is uh, poor, whereas Correct. the one on the right has a, a much narrower slice. Because this, the one on the left just doesn't have all the inspections completed yet. So this, this. Oh, so that's no inspection Correct. as opposed yes. to poor, yeah. got it. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. thanks. Yeah, no problem. So. Here's a video I'm going to show of a sewer that we found, and this sewer has a defect, a four to five defect, and it has inflow infiltration bubbling up. Uh, it's about 10 seconds long. At the end, you'll see water coming up from the bottom, and that actually is water coming in the sewer that we don't want in the sewer uh, that we're trying to remove. This so, is a sanitary sewer, which that is not, correct. Okay. This is a sanitary sewer. You'll see it right there. Oh. They're not all huge, but they all add up and they all count. So that is a pipe showing inflow infiltration uh, that we found. The next video we're going to show is going to show that same sewer line that's been lined and what that looks like now. You'll see nothing. <laughs> so you put like a plastic lining like in there? I put a resin liner in that sewer to take care of that. In addition to fixing the leak, it adds 50 years of structural integrity, roughly. To that sewer line for us to be be last that, last that much longer in the ground. Oops, sorry. I want the next slide. So the next the next uh, next topic here: pump station supervisor control, otherwise known as SCADA. This was approved earlier tonight in the consent agenda uh, under telemetry. And just to briefly, this has kind of been a three to four year process. So just to briefly discuss it, three or four years ago we came to council and asked you in the bottom left here to help us upgrade the, basically the brains of the plant. Mosqueda 
SCADA and the computers at the wastewater plant. That's where basically all the pump station data from the 43 pump stations is, is sent. That's where all of our data from the plant operations is, is um, collected and analyzed. Um, and over the past year, we've asked council for approval for these PLCs to be installed at every pump station. So this pro the project that we approved, approved tonight will take all of our pump stations and telemetry is going to be basically the system that takes all of these signals from the pump stations and our PLCs, so flow data, rain data, uh, pump data, allow us to control the pumps on and off. It takes all those signals, all that information from all 43 pump stations, uh, sends it via radio, radio frequency, uh, via tower. We're going to install towers on the water tower, water towers in Midland, one, maybe two. Um, back to a PLC at the plant which then communicates to with our interface with our SCADA system in the lab allows us basically to control, monitor um, what's going on at the pump stations around the city. So that is a large pro project when you consider it as 43 pump stations. 25% of those will be done by city staff. So the 25 ones that are kind of more, more of the um, complicated ones, we want staff to be able to, to know how those were built and how those were, um, how they were built so we can troubleshoot those better as we go forward. The ones, the stations that are a little bit more cookie cutter will have their contractors due so we can get those done in a timely and efficient manner. So as we discussed, I think I put, this is a 42, it should be a 43 station upgrade. This equipment we have is updated, outdated and not supported. Uh, this also eliminates the cost of landlines used to run our current system. Um, this infrastructure for antenna placement. Basically right now we can't, we can't send back real time data like rain data through our our PLCs don't support it. So with this new system, we'll be able to get real-time rain data back to the plant. Our existing system doesn't allow us control, remote control of pump stations. So this new system will actually have some remote control of stations. And there's a whole other discussion about, do you want to turn pumps on from a remote source without somebody there to check it? We've got different things to talk about there when we get to that point, but it allows us to control those things in emergency situations. And then it also allows us accelerated monitoring and processing of real-time data, including pump station operations, flow data, and rainfall, rainfall amounts. How are the pump stations operated now if you can't do it remotely? You have to have somebody go over to each pump station and... We have a lot of checks. We have data we can see. So we have pump station data we can see what's going on, either they're in alarm or they're not in alarm. And we'll have some flow numbers. But if those things go into alarm, or if something goes wrong, we have to send somebody physically out there to see is it a, is it a fault with... Uh, Computers is a default with the PLC is a pump actually actually an issue. And actually during the flooding event of 17, we had one of our larger pump stations, Wyman Street, went in default um, during a time when it was a river and a lake around Wyman Street down by the Tridge. So we couldn't get staff to that station. The phone lines got wet from all the water. And what happened, we had to get the sheriff's deputies uh, boat, put staff on the boat, get them out to the pump station, down the hole to figure out what was going on. So all of these upgrades will make all of these situations in the future uh, much more tenable. Okay. Yep, we'll, there'll be backup power on the, on the computers um, and the station. So if power goes out, you'll have three to four hours of backup power to get these signals there. Most of our pump stations have built-in generators, so it shouldn't be an issue. Some of our smaller ones don't, but we have enough generators at the plant that we can get around each pump station and get those things powered up. So that's the end of my presentation. Do I have any questions I can answer? I have one. Yes. 
Right, so when I was reading your report, which I think is very good, thank you, thank um, you. there are some places where I saw the creeks and the bridge, or the culverts and the bridges mm -hmm. are sized and approved um, by the state of Michigan to be a 100-year flood level for their watershed, which is above the city's 10-year, 24-hour standard. Mm -hmm. So at this point, after the maintenance work that's been done, is this saying that it's ready and for like a 100-year flood if one were to come? That is Sturgeon Creek specifically. Mm -hmm. So theoretically what you're saying is yes. If, those, if the creeks in between the culverts could handle a 100-year mm -hmm. event, then yes, we could put a 100 years through. You also have to remember that the river controls much of our flood water throughout the city. Right. So even though it can convey it to the river, if the river comes up from events further north, it might not be able to get out of the city and it still may back up. Mm -hmm. But that's, yeah, that was Sturgeon Creek that's, specifically. Yep. That's correct. Okay. Any other questions? Yeah, so I wanted to, to ask you too about your report so far has nothing on the Stony Creek Inman Drain uh, uh, area, which you had a lot of flooding, of course, along, along Moreland and Perrin mm -hmm. and Stony Creek and you know, basically every, uh, that area. When is that going to be looked at in terms of those um, culvert opening sizes mm -hmm. and uh, you know, some of the other work that, you're, that you showed here for the okay. rest of the city? Well, let me start, I'll, end, I'll, end, I'll finish with the culverts. Okay. But, uh, in terms of the flow meter, we do have flow meters out in that area right now. As we discussed, the Perrin and Sony Creek tonight, we're eventually going to eliminate, eliminate all of those sewer lines as we, how do, I, how do I phrase it here? The lines in that area for sewer lines all come together, and they're all a little bit leaky. So we don't know where, which ones of those are causing more I and I have more flow than the other ones. Okay, so those, are san those are sanitary sewers. Correct, that is correct, sanitary sewers. Okay. Yeah, so we are placing flow meters out there one at a time to isolate and identify which lines have the most flow. So for sanitary sewer, we're out there right now. Okay. Um, for a storm sewer, we have inspected, we have started those inspections out there. Those inspections are ongoing for the sanitary, for the storm sewers, I'm sorry. Okay. Those inspections are ongoing. We haven't found anything significant out there for storm sewers. Um, for culvert cleaning, uh, I was asking, more concerned with the opening, so where, okay. where it crosses the roads. Gotcha. So we haven't studied, the, we haven't studied with engineering type studies, hydraulic capacities of those culverts. Um, it wasn't, those weren't involved in a priority one and two um, studies. It doesn't mean we can't get to that at some point to have those in, in our next, our next phase. We're quickly approaching the end of phase priority one and two. So if those need to be added on at some point, we could look to do that. Um, we do have staff that cleans those culvert openings every summer. We walk those, make sure that they are clean and flowing through and don't have any downed trees and debris blocking those. But the answer to when are we going to study the hydraulic openings of those creeks, we, we don't have that on the, on the schedule yet. Yeah, because I know, I know from 2017, I was personally at some of those, and there was a good you know, two feet of water flowing across the top mm -hmm. of the road at those culverts. So that would suggest maybe not quite large enough. Correct. And uh, I think we certainly don't disagree with those. Where we're starting now is where we started with the priorities one and two, but again, those could be added down the road if that's what needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, given the, the the extent of flooding in this area, I would I would hope that those would be added at least okay. in terms of the assessment to figure out where we stand. It's not that you're going to repair them right away, as you said, but you identify what's going on. Identify, yeah, where we are. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other questions for Mr. Frizzy? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Any comments from the public on this? Okay. Seeing none. Erica, will you please read the resolution? This resolution receives and files the August 2019 Storm and Sanitary Sewer Activities Update Report, undertaken as a result of the June 2017 rain and flooding event. 
We have a motion to accept the resolution. So moved. Second. 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 Any discussion? You know, this really is a great story on the progress that's been made in the last year and the funding that's been put aside to support this. And one of the things I think is we need to figure out how to get this out because, you know, we always hear a lot about, well, this should be a priority and what are you guys doing? And this is a great story. So how do we get it out there? I think the other thing, too, is this is, looks like it's, uh, it's paying the dividends we had hoped it would, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rather than go with the kind of choking on the first estimate from our consultants that said, you know, you have to only have to put in $118 million into your system. Hopefully this, we're, we're clearly going to have to spend money, as, as, and we have already, but uh, hopefully it'll be significantly less than that, and we can achieve the objectives of, of protecting people's homes and, and property. It was great to see the, you know, the cleaned out um, culverts, uh, drains. That was really nice to be able to see that. And the fact that we, uh, we recognize, you know, what's going to possibly happen there in the future with, you know, the trees that are already beginning to fall and how we need to plan for that so we don't get back to where we were. So I appreciate that forward thinking that we're, that's going on there also. So any other comments? We ready to vote? All right, all in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Okay, that passes 5-0. All right, so that takes us to the end of our agenda. Any new business from you? Um, the only um, item, Madam Mayor, is uh, there's a ZBA appointment that we do need per people to interview for. Right, so can I have a couple of volunteers to do that, Steve? I'd like to volunteer. I'll okay. interview. Okay, great. All right, thank you, Steve and Diane. and. You'll work with um, Rachel, Rachel on Rachel. that. That'd be mm -hmm. great. Okay. okay. Anyone on council have any new business? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to <laughs> bring up our favorite subject. Um, about three months ago, we had a meeting, and at the end of that meeting, that was the one where we had a lot of comments on the road diet. Um, and I think Mayor Yu and, and, and Diane chimed in, uh, directed the city manager to do some things. Um, one of them was have a session devoted to greater understanding of the road diet. And I understand, is it, and maybe it's, we can ask, I can ask whether it's formalized, the September 18th date is that meeting? Yes. Yes, okay. that's confirmed. Okay, so that's, that one has is, is been scheduled, I guess, been done. The second one is, is that the mayor asked for is if data is out there that we, that uh, any other data out, is out there that we need to see it. Um, and I, I was trying to recall exactly what we were referring to, but I think this is something beyond what MDOT was gathering, was the intent. If there's any other data, uh, so I, I guess I, that's still an open question unless somebody knows, or if there is if, none. If, if basically, none. we ought to uh, yeah. get a confirmation. Uh, I guess Brad through you, um, and then another one was to respond to questions that were raised on at the on the, um, the May 20th meeting, and I kind of supplemented that on June 17th after Joan Brouch spoke, spoke that we basically can have all those questions answered. I, I know that on our city website we, we posted um, generally asked questions on the website. I'm not sure if those aligned exactly with everything that was being asked uh, at the meeting verbatim, um, but I, I would guess it prior to the September 18th meeting if we could even look more broadly, if there's questions out there that staff attempt to answer them ahead of the meeting. I think that would be helpful in terms of maybe making that meeting uh, more constructive. 
So I'm just, I don't know if there is any, I'm just suggesting that maybe do another scrub. We've got, you've got uh, three weeks yet before the meeting, so it's probably worthwhile to, to do that exercise. Um, and then the, the fourth item was uh, to find a way to hear from the broader community. And I think Maureen, you were talking about ways to validate it and you know, validate those comments and criticisms. Um, I'm not sure what exactly we're doing there, uh, but I guess I wanted to use this opportunity also to raise something that I think we all received in the mail, a copy of a letter from Tom McCann offering to pay for a ballot question uh, on the topic of the road diet. And I think he was, he was offering up to pay for the entire cost uh, to vote, to have this basically at a county level to vote on this. I mean, that's certainly one way that um, you can get community input uh, on this question pretty clearly. Um, so I thought as a, as a council we ought to talk about that one uh, in terms of a way to receive, you know, sort of an impartial, validated way of, of getting uh, community input. So I don't know if, if anybody else had any thoughts after seeing copy of that letter, but um, I thought it was an interesting idea. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it open to, to everybody else in terms of their thoughts on it. One of the other things that was mentioned besides just community members that live here are the people that pass through that corridor that aren't from the area but count on not having obstructions and and their their input is needed if this is a, a, a state a US you know MDOT highway now, Mr. McCann actually I think he opened it up on a countywide basis which which you know as much as we can control would attempt to capture some of that so, any right. other right now it's a study I mean we're studying it it's not a you know, we're just gathering, and a study is gathering data, and that's what we're doing. So I think that, you know, at this point, we're gathering the data. We're going to put out what we have, what answer, try and answer the questions that we have, and, you know, see, and then after we have that data on the, or whatever we have by the 18th, you know, at, the, at that point in time, it will, you know. But I think if you could, but to go to that, that one of the, the, the points that we asked to have happen is a way to hear from the broader community and you can't get much more pointed than having uh, a ballot issue on that on that topic I agree with that and um, you know I mean it's it's nice to have the meetings that we're having where they get to present the intention and but to hear the actual experience I mean you're studying you're studying it and you're putting in numbers and so forth, but what about the person's input? At what point, if, there, if it turns out the majority of people don't want it, does that become the point itself in the study? That's what the study is. Are the people, it, are, is the experience that people are having traveling in the corridor a positive one or a negative one? I would think is a big part of the study. And so their opinions do matter, and if we're not getting enough opinions, then, then we should utilize every opportunity 
to gather that information. So how about we go to MDOT and ask them if there are other communities where they've done their studies that decided they didn't want it and what the result was? Madam Mayor, if, if I may, one of the things on the 18th, um, it's not intended to be a final um, meeting. This, right. this will not have all of the data because the data collection will continue until such time as MDOT is satisfied that they have the data to make a decision as can it be done or can it not. Um, and that will be sometime after the bridge uh, reopens, of, of the M20 bridge reopens, which won't be until early October. Um, we are pushing them on that front to say, as soon as you have all the data you need, let's, let's shut this down. The community doesn't want the trial to continue. Um, none of us want it to continue. We, we simply want the data to come back so that we can make an informed decision. Um, that said, we are working on the 18th to also have MDOT representatives there um, who can answer some of the questions and will be available to present some of the information. Um, but keeping in mind, the only data that they are collecting right now is the really that comes to the question of can we do this? And, and it's nothing more than that at this point in time. Whenever that data is collected, we make a determination of either can it be done or can it not be done? If we cannot do it, that's the end of it. I mean, we simply won't be able to go forward. If it can be done, then you as council will have a discussion at that point in time to, to make a determination, do we continue forward with this or do we not? Um, one of the challenges, and Jim correct me and jump in if I'm wrong on this, but certainly Mr. McCann's offer, one of the challenges of a, a vote on the public record or a ballot um, is the question has to be a valid question to put on the ballot. And the type of discussion that we're having right now is a trial, and, and based upon the discussions we've had with the county clerk, we don't think that that's a valid question that can even be put on a ballot. At such time as we got to a decision and we came up with do we or don't we implement this specifically and there's a specific proposal to put forward, I think that, at, that starts to get to the point where a question could be entertained. On the 18th, one of the things we'll be talking about with you at the end of the meeting is where do we see this going next and kind of laying out the different opportunities that may be presented and the opportunities for public input. Um, so again, the 18th isn't even the end of it. That's simply another collection of data and input uh, point and there will be more, more into the future after that. As long as you, the, the five of you don't at some point in time, you could always say no and stop it and then it would be up to MDOT whether they chose to stop it at that point or not. It's, it, we could make that recommendation or request to them. but. Right now, it will continue until council chooses to do otherwise or MDOT gets the data that they feel is necessary. Okay. So I, I, didn't, I didn't think we would make a decision this evening on that point. I wanted to raise it. I wanted to reemphasize the four points, make sure we're on track for what we're going to you know, have mm -hmm. for the meeting on the 18th. I think we all ought to think about Mr. McCann's offer. I don't know if it still stands. I think at this point, he was hoping to put it on a November uh, ballot, but th that deadline is passed, but it doesn't mean you couldn't do it in March, which would be the next time you have a, a, a vote. Um, you know, and there's, there's other things. I mean, we, we voted on this basically as representatives of the people. Uh, we have differences of opinion about what the people really say on this subject based on our vote. Um, it's one way to kind of resolve it once and for all. Uh, I don't, we don't need to, to discuss anymore. It was just something that I, I felt in an open meeting we needed to, to address. Okay. All right. Anything else? All right, then we're adjourned.
This program is presented by the MCTV Network, a service of the City of Midland, Michigan. This presentation coincides with programming on Midland Government Television, covering government affairs in the City of Midland.